0: If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, if you would uh, open them up with us to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 19, and as you're doing that, I have a card that I would like to read. Thank you for the prayers, cards, and visits during my sister's illness and passing. Thank you for the flowers and the gift. I am very blessed to have such a loving and wonderful church family, and that is from Anna and uh, for the passing of her sister. So continue to pray for her and her family during this time. Um, and today I want to talk to you about what comes next in our passage of Scripture. If you've been following along with us, you know that King David has been through a lot, through the ups and downs of a rebellion, through the ups and downs of failure, um, and ups and downs of death and his family, And uh, we looked at how King David's armies have won a great battle, but yet his son was murdered. We looked last week about how as David began to come back to Jerusalem to take his place on the throne, that he was presented with opportunities to bring vengeance or show mercy. And so he showed mercy to um, numerous people that had hurt him. But today I want to talk to you about Another situation that David gets an opportunity to reward someone who was there through the worst of times. And what you and I usually do in our Christian faith is uh, we know that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible teaches us that uh, over and over again. But many times we use that as an excuse to do one of two things. One, we know that God will forgive us. And I know you've never done this, and you're way too spiritual to admit this, but I have done things that I know God didn't want me to do, knowing that I could ask forgiveness, and then asking forgiveness. You might say it something like this. It's better to ask forgiveness than it is to ask And let's be honest, all of us have done that in our walk with God. Hopefully not habitually or regularly, but we have all done it. Or on the other side of that, that we become so overwhelmed with our grief and sin that we just give up, that it doesn't matter how I live my life. It doesn't matter that I try to live obedient and holy and righteous because I'm just so wicked that I I have nothing good to offer. But yet the Bible teaches us that after you are saved, not because of works, not because of what you do, but by grace, that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And how you live out that life in obedience to Him has a potential to make a great difference in someone's life. A great difference to encourage someone or to harm someone, to uplift someone or tear someone down. And today what we're going to be looking at is a person who used that opportunity and the blessings that God had given them to make a difference when someone was down and out. And what you and I probably can recognize is this. We are surrounded by hurting people, by confused people, by broken people. And we have an opportunity to not only tell them the good news, but to live out the good news to them. To be kind when the world is cruel. To show mercy when the world teaches vengeance. To teach long-suffering when the world teaches retribution. And so this man that we're going to be looking at to the name by is named Barzillai. And there's like 13 different people who pronounce it 13 different ways, so just say it fast, know who it is, and you will be fine. But we're going to see that as King David is coming back to Jerusalem victoriously, this man who was there for him in the middle of great tragedy, how that responds. And so if you would flip back two chapters to 2 Samuel chapter 17 and we will read what this man did for King David. And if you would, stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's Word. In 2 Samuel chapter 17 verse 27 through 29, David is fleeing for his life with his family and a few hundred people, no provisions, just escaping at the last minute. It says... Now what happened when David had come to Mahaniam that Shobai the son of Nahash from Reba of the people of Ammon, Micar the son of Amil from Lodabar, and Barzaliah the Gileadite from Rogalim, there's that name, brought beds and basins, earthly vessels and wheat, barley and flour, parched grain and beans, lentils and parched seeds, honey and curds, sheep and the cheese of the herd, for David and the people who were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. If you would pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. As always, Lord, we know that only you can do anything of value today. Lord, you're the only one who can convict, who can change, who can... Lord, just show us our need this hour. And so, Father, I pray that you would forgive me. You know me, my sin, my failures, my doubts, my insecurities, Lord. And I pray that you would work in spite of them all. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we see a man who puts his life, his fortune, his family on the line for King David. And today you might be saying, well, Jake, I'm not in a a low point in my life. I I don't have any struggles. That I want you to know that God has you there for a reason. Maybe today you're here and you're saying, Jake, I am that person. Our marriage is is falling apart. Our finances are falling apart. Our our relationships with other people are broken. I, I got a terrible diagnosis from the doctor. And so I am that running person. I am that person in need. And this morning as we look at this situation and how it unfolds, I hope to just show you three things this morning very quickly about what it looks like to be blessed and how to use the blessings of God for His glory. First thing i to like to show you this morning if you're taking notes is this. A blessed man is generous with God's blessings. A blessed man is generous with God's blessing. Look in verse 31 of chapter 19. And Barzillai the Gileadite came down from Rogolim and went across the Jordan with the king to escort him across the Jordan. Now Barzillai was a a very aged man, 80 years old. I didn't say you were aged if you're 80. Let's just clear that up. I don't want to get in town like Jake said 80 years old. is old people, the Bible said you're aged. I didn't, all right? And you would think I wouldn't have to clarify that, but I have had to many times over the years. And he provided the king with supplies while he stayed at Mahaniam, for he was a very rich man. And the king said to Barzillai, Come across with me, and I will provide for you while you are with me in Jerusalem. What we see here is a man who once again has blessed David. This is a man who was financially very wealthy. This was a man who God had blessed to be able to bless other people. And what we see is that Barzillai did not care so much about his possessions and his wealth and his earthly stature that when David was in need, that he left him, that he abandoned him. And what happens is David says, I want to reward you for how good you've been to me. How you were a friend, the three of you, when we were hungry, when we had no place to sleep, when we were down and out, you brought your money and your gifts and your abilities to meet our needs when it could have cost you everything. Absalom could have heard about this and killed him and his whole family, but yet he recognized something. That when God blesses you, it is for a couple reasons. One, for you to be able to enjoy the blessings that God has given you. Two, to meet the needs that God has presented to you. And third, to use them to be a blessing to someone else. What we see from this passage of Scripture is that when God works in our hearts and God has blessed us, we should have a heart to bless others. 2 Corinthians says it like this, But I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, and you... Always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Let's be honest, in a country like ours where God has blessed us, unlike on this day any other country in the world, two extremes happen. The first extreme is the person who refuses to work, doesn't want to work, and thinks that everything that you have worked hard for should be taken from you by the government and given to them. They should have no effort but yet have what they need. And by the way, that is wrong. On the other end of that spectrum are people who have accumulated billions and billions of dollars and cheat the tax code and take advantage of their employees and do whatever they can to build earthly kingdoms for themselves. And that is wrong as well. And what is taught in the middle throughout the entire Bible is that when God blesses you, you should not be ashamed of God's blessings in your life. And because we're staying faithful to the text this morning, we're talking about material blessings. If God has blessed you in material blessings, you should not feel ashamed because Satan and somebody who wants your blessings has made you feel guilty. But on the flip side of that, if God has blessed you and your blessings begin to take you away from God or away from church or away from being generous, you need to know that your blessings have become idols. And you need to be very cautious about that. But what we see here is God's Word promises that if God blesses you and you are willing to give and to use those gifts and those blessings for the glory of God, that God will work in a mighty way. God will use it to work in abundance of even what we can imagine. And so today as a Christian, you need to know that if God has blessed you, that God did not bless you in order to save up a nest egg, so that at some point when you retire, that you can do nothing for God. No, you should use your retirement as an opportunity to do more for God. God, how can I use my time and my talents and my treasures for your glory? The Bible even gives us a warning of when we do not use our blessings for the glory of God. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, the Bible says these words, By this we know love because He laid down His life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. So because He was willing to give up His life for ours, we should be willing to give up our lives for each other. But yet that doesn't bother most people as much as the next verse. In verse 17, But whoever has this world's goods, we're talking about material possessions, and sees his brother in need, and shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? John says if God has blessed you and you look at a fellow believer or someone in need and your heart grows cold and dead and dry, that I am not a giver, he says, I don't even know if you're a believer. That's the test of our heart. When God asks something of us, what is our response? Now I want to stop right here because like most of you, I probably struggle with this because my first response is, if you feed the animals at the zoo, they become dependent on you feeding them. And what we have done in our country is we have provided people so much that they don't think it's necessary to work. And so there is a Biblical wisdom to, uh, to present things with. But if your first response is always, I'm not going to help because I'm just going to be scammed, your heart's in the wrong place. You should always be saying, God, I want to help. Show me if this is the time to help or not. As a church, I cannot begin to tell you the amount of times we've helped people to turn around and watch them use that light bill money to buy a brand new iPhone or something else. And everything in me says, never again, never again, not a dime for anybody. But don't forget this one thing, that we are to recognize that it is not our responsibility to check what people do, that's God's. God is going to know how the people that we help use it. God is going to know and hold accountable those who we have helped. But what we must be willing to do is have a heart that says, God, as long as you're giving to me, I want to look at ways to bless others. As a church, God has been so... Good to us over the years. God has taken care of every need that we have ever had. You have given generously. You have given sacrificiously. But never forget that we should always be looking. God, you have been so good to us. How can we be good to others? And that's exactly what we see from Brasilia. Second thing I want to show you this morning is a blessed man has his priorities right. A blessed man has his priorities right. So David says, come along. Come to Jerusalem where I can spoil you. I can elevate you. I can make your faithfulness rewarded. And Brasilia says this. But Barzillia said to the king, How long have I to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am today 80 years old. Can I discern between the good and the bad? Can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any longer the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be a further burden to my lord the king? Your servant will go a little way across the Jordan with the king, and why should the king repay me with such a reward? But let your servant turn back again, that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father, and mother, what we see is humility. He's not being critical of old people. He's just saying, I don't know how much time I've got left to enjoy these things. And what he says is, truly, at this point in my life, those aren't the things that matter to me. What's going to happen in Jerusalem? It's going to be a celebration. It's going to be a party. It's going to be rejoicing. It's going to be festivals. It's going to be all of this stuff that the world celebrates. But, you know, I'm at that age where doesn't matter. And he says, who am I that I should receive all of this honor? What we see here is that no matter how God blesses you, no matter how much God gives you, you should always remember who is the source of your blessing. And while you should never feel ashamed that God has blessed you, you should never use God's blessings to look down on someone else. They don't have as much money as I do. They don't have as much education as I do. They don't have as nice a house as I do. They don't dress as nice as I do. Look up here. This man was wealthy. He had the favor of the king. He could have asked for anything. And he says, who am I? We see a beautiful picture of a man who had his priorities right. And today, if you're sitting here and your blessings that God has given you have caused you to be prideful or arrogant or view down on other people, look up here, you're in sin. And you need to repent and remember that God has given you everything He's given you and He could take it all away in a moment. Psalms, the ninth chapter, says it like this, I will praise You, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. What we see is satisfaction. I'm satisfied in what God has given me. I'm content with God's blessings in my life. And let's be honest, how many heartaches could be avoided? How many families could stay together? How many workplaces wouldn't be torn apart? If people could just say, God, I'm satisfied. I don't have to have that next promotion. I don't have to have that bigger house. I don't have to have that bigger car. It's everything that Joel tells you but backwards. God wants you to have that bigger car. God wants you to have that promotion. God wants you to have more and more and more. And this man says, I got everything I ever need. And I'm okay with that. I am satisfied in what God has given me. We wouldn't see constant marriages under financial stress, constant families underwater on mortgages and car payments. We wouldn't say credit card debt at a record high in America today if we could just know that God's blessings are enough. What has happened is this. We have decided that impressing the people on here is more important than being satisfied with the blessings that God has given us. So and so, did you see that? Look at that new car. Look at so and so. Did you see that? Look at their new house. Oh, so and so, look at her haircut. Oh, so and so went to the doctor for what? Ew, girl, you know. It's insane. And we watch this, and it has taught us that we need more. We need to impress. And what you need to know is most people do not like you anyway. They don't. And so what we have done is we have given up everything in the manner of peace to accumulate more. Hebrews 6 says it like this because the second thing we see is he says, I just want to stay close to my home and be buried where my family is. Hebrews the 6th chapter verse 11 says it like this, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. What it says is, I don't want a shipwreck with the harbor in sight. Think about this. This man had led his family. He had been raised there. He had been with his aunts, his uncles, his nieces and nephews. He was the patriarch of his family. It was his responsibility to make sure that his family was godly and faithful and dedicated and loyal. He was that leader in his home. And what he says is, I don't need to go to Jerusalem and abandon what matters. Because just like this thing has taught us to follow after the things of the world, it has also tried to teach us that we need the approval of people that do not matter. And we have forgotten the people who do. Friends, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, whatever you use, most of those people only follow you to wait for you to fail. And this is what breaks my heart. I eat out a lot. I ate a lot of meals by myself, and I enjoy eating by myself because I like to watch people. And I know that sounds creepy, but it just is. And it always amazes me how many middle-aged couples who are miserable in their marriage, their kids are out of the home, they come and they sit down across from each other at a restaurant, and they look like two little junior high kids. are like... And the waitress is like, What can I, can I get you a drink? What was that, sir? And I always want to say, Don't bumble! Speak to the person that's speaking to you. And they'll order their food and these two middle-aged people will just sit here like this and they'll be like, mm. but I can tell you, you get some couple that's just started dating. I don't know if they're 18, 16, 20, it don't matter. They come in and sit down and the guy's like this. Oh, she is so pretty. And the girl's like, I know I'm pretty. <laughs> and that's not sexist, or but they're looking at each other because they're like, this is important to me. She is important to me. He is important. They're involved in what matters. But friends, I'm telling you what has happened is this. The world has enticed us to please everyone else. And we've abandoned what God said. How many times have we abandoned our family for a promotion? How many times have we abandoned our marriage for what looks better? How many times have we sacrificed our kids for the success at work? And what we see from this man is, he says, you know what, I'm going to worry about what matters. The people who matter to me. My kids, my grandkids, I want to be buried where my family is buried. And I have a whole world of opinions about burial and cremation. I'm not going to throw that in here today, but I'd love to share that with you any other time, All right?" He says, I want to be where my people are. He makes a choice that his priority is that family is more important than fans. Family is more important than the stuff that the world offers. Third and final thing. We see a blessed man is generous. We see a blessed man knows his priorities. And the third and final one is, a blessed man leaves a legacy for his family. The second part of verse 37 there says, but, here is your servant, Cheham. Let him cross over with my lord the king. Most likely, Chemham was one of his sons. Let him cross over with my lord the king, and do for him what seems good to you. And the king answered, Chimham, shall cross over with me, and I will do for him what seems good to you. Now whatever you request of me, I will do for you. Then all the people went over the Jordan, and when the king had crossed over, the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him, and he returned to his own place. There are two ways the Bible talks about leaving a legacy for our children. The first and fourth is a spiritual legacy. Our children are to know about the goodness and mercy of God from us, their parents. I cannot begin to tell you how many times I've preached a funeral and I've sat across from kids and said, adult children, and said, tell me about when your parent was saved. Well, I, I know that they were. I, uh, I just don't know anything about it. Well, tell me about why you guys started going to church. I know we just started going. Well, tell me about why you go to church where you do go to church. Well, I don't know. We just always have went there. And some of you think, well, that's our family story. It shouldn't be. Your children should know when God saved you and what you were going through and what it was like for you. I, uh, My oldest child, but she's probably in here in anyway, She'll just have to hear it. But I was very upfront with her about what I was like before I got saved and what I was like when I met her mother. And um, and so from time to time, she'll she's too young to, to, to do a lot of sinful things out in the world, but she'll something say something like, I just can't believe, Dad, that you were drinking when you met Mom. And I'd be like, rub it in, you heathen. But, But in those moments, I have tried to teach them that I ran from God. I struggled with my faith. I made a mess of my life. But even when I was not looking for Him, He came and found me. And even though I didn't deserve God's forgiveness, and I didn't deserve God's mercy, that He did. And as a parent, I put my parents through things that no parent should have to go through. But they still love me. I think they love me most of the time. I'm getting more and more difficult as I get older. Still prayed for me still would do anything I ask for Him. And so I can tell her that even though I might be upset with you, even though we might not be getting along right well at the moment, but I am here for you. Because I want to display the love of God that He has toward me, towards you. Because when I see you think about your heavenly Father, I don't want your earthly Father to destroy your view of who God is. I want you to see Him in me because of what He's done for me. And so that legacy of teaching your children who God is and what God has done for you is going to mean more to them than it will ever mean to listen to it from me. My testimony is mine and my children see me in my life and see the good and the bad and it influences them. But you are that influence for your children. You need to be the ones that says, hey, I struggle with anxiety but God is getting me through it. Hey, I struggle with pride, but God has gotten me through it. Hey, I was there. I was doubting my faith, and God got me through it. You need to leave the legacy of who God is in your life. Psalms seventy eighth chapter verse 4 says it like this. We will not hide them from their children. Telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. Your children ought to know who God is and what He's done for you, how He's blessed you, how He's forgiven you, how He's been there with you. Now, let's be clear here. My three-year-old does not know everything that my 11-year-old does. And my 11-year-old will be told more when she's older and understands more. But my children need to hear who God is to me. Not just something they come and they do. Not just songs that they sing. Not just lessons that they learn, but how God is real and alive and wants a relationship with them. Just like He has a relationship with you. But the second way we see from here that He leaves a legacy for His children is financial. We see here He says, Whatever blessings you are going to give Me, give to Him. And in Proverbs the 13th chapter, verse 22, the Bible says it like this. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. And so it teaches us that we are to leave a legacy for our children. And you say, Jake, why does this matter? Because this man could have done two things. This man could have took the financial blessings that God gave him and said, it's all that matters to me. David's in need, and David's my king, but I'm not putting myself at risk. David is king, but he's fleeing. He might not ever be king. I might not ever get this money back. I might not ever get these beds back, or basins back, or I can't get the cheese back, or I can't get, the, I can't get this back, so I'm not going to give it. You see, this man was being rewarded, not because he was after the reward, but because he was willing to love someone at their lowest. He was willing to care for someone at their lowest. And I want to show you how much it made a difference in King David's life. Because today, you and I have the same opportunities. Maybe it's the single mom down the street struggling to buy a formula. Maybe it's that person who lost a loved one and you're going through the funeral line. Maybe it's going to visit at a bedside of someone dying of cancer. Maybe it's providing shoes for a neighborhood kid who can't buy shoes for school. There are so many ways that you can be a blessing and it doesn't have to be because you're wealthy and you never know the impact it might have. In 1 Kings chapter 2, King David is dying. He's on his deathbed. He is telling his son Solomon, who's going to be king, what matters most. And in verses 1 through 4, he talks about follow God and serve God and love God and, and trust God. But then he says, and I also want you to deal with a couple people for me. These are people that should have received judgment, but I showed mercy. The first one was Joab, the commander of his army. He says, that guy murdered someone every chance he got. And he needs to be put to death for it after I'm gone. Shimei, the man who David showed mercy to because he cursed him and mocked him and threw stones at him, he says, you know what? I promised him mercy while I was alive. But after I'm gone, he needs to be put to death for his crimes. And the Bible even says it was wisdom, it was wise to do these things. It wasn't vengeance. It was this is what should happen. And you say, man, that's really awful. How you treat someone at their lowest. Never goes away. David remembered these men and what they had done to him when everybody turned against him. But right in between those two, there's a reference to someone else on David's deathbed. In verse 7, it says this But show kindness to the sons of Barzillai the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For so they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. He says, I want you to be reminded about that guy who was there for me when no one else was. I want you to remember to bless his sons and to bless his sons like they are your own family. You see, when David was all alone and running for his life, this man's kindness and mercy and grace left a lasting impression. And friends, today the great challenge I have for you is it doesn't matter how much you have or how little, how important you think you are or not, God saved you for a reason. To have a relationship with Him and to make a difference in the lives of other people for His glory. What we see here is that we don't know the impact we might have on someone's life. You never know what that phone call might mean to someone. You never know what paying that electric bill might mean to someone. You never know about sharing a kind word to someone might mean. You never know about what showing mercy to your waitress might do for her future. You never know about what it might mean to pick up that kid on a church van might mean. You never know what it might mean not to look down on someone who doesn't have very much and knows that you do. But what I can tell you is this David, the most powerful man in Israel, the king who God appointed, the man after God's own heart, when everything was fading away, when his life on this earth was over, he cared about honoring the person who ministered to him in his need. And friends, I believe we have that same opportunity. I believe as a church, We have an opportunity to love our community genuinely, not superficially. Everybody wants to do something that gets attention and gets on Facebook and gets recognized. But I'm telling you, real love. Sitting there and listening when a couple's marriage is falling apart and no one else knows. By sitting by a bedside of a patient who's dying, you know there's no hope. You don't have the words to say, but you just sit in a room in silence. Going to that person who's made their life a mess has been running from God who has hurt the people they love who's hurt you and they call and say I need you. And everything in you says kick rocks. In that moment you never know. I want to be clear many of the people that you do this for won't remember you. It won't make an eternal difference for God's glory. But to some It will. I can tell you I have visited with hundreds if not thousands of people when their loved ones are getting ready to leave this world. Went to 10,000 hospital visits. And can I tell you very few, it has ever made a spiritual difference. Oh, yeah, they'll talk good about me, but I don't want people to talk good about me. I want it to change their life. I want them to find a church somewhere. I want them to start reading the Word. I want them to come back to God. And friends, but you never know the difference you might make by loving someone when no one else does. And what we see in this text is that Marzillai had everything he would ever need, but serving God was most important. And today, if we're honest, most of us are saying, Jake, I'm just too busy. I've got... Too much going on. I've got too much drama. I've got too much debt. I've got too much to really think that God could use someone like me. The first answer to that question is repent. Today it doesn't matter if it's your choices. It's, it's what you were born into. It doesn't matter if you've, you've just inherited this. Know today that if it's keeping you from God, Repent. Two, if you're saying, Jake, I've been burnt by people, my heart's just grown cold because I've given and I've sacrificed and I've helped so much. Today you need to get along with God and say, God, soften my heart. And I want you to know, here I can be the hard heart, most hard-hearted person you've ever met. Literally six days of the week, I think God, if you just let me move to a cabin with my seven girls in my life and me, that's all I need. And when I lay my head on the pillow, God has to say, stupid. That's not the right heart. I know that it can be easy to build walls. But today my challenge to you is this. Don't miss making a difference in someone's life for any reason. It's worth it. Nothing is more valuable than a soul. Nothing is more valuable than a person created in the image of God. Houses don't matter, cars don't matter, wealth doesn't matter. All of them are great, but nothing is more valuable than a soul. And God has given us the privilege of being used to make a difference in the lives of other people. And so my challenge to you as an individual, to you as a family, to us as a church, is to take what God has given us and use it for His glory use it to make a David-style impact on someone's life. Father, we thank You so very, very much for Your Word. And Lord, I want to thank You for sending Jesus to die for us, to show us what it looks like to give the ultimate gift. And Father, today I pray that if there's anyone in this room that is trying to be kind to go to heaven, or is trying to do enough good things to go to heaven, that's trying to give enough money to go to heaven, Lord, that You would show them that none of that is enough. Only through repenting and have a relationship with You can we be saved. But Father, I pray for this congregation, no other church, just this group of people today, Lord, that we would see Your blessings as a blessing to be used, not to be hoarded, not to be hidden, Lord, to be used for Your glory. So Father, help us to have a heart change. Help us to be compassionate and merciful and gracious, knowing that people matter to You. Lord, I pray for those that are here today in this room that are in the valley, that are hurting, that are needing a special touch, a a special friendship, a, 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 a helping hand, Lord, an encouraging word. Today, Lord, they would know that this place loves them that you love them and god show us the need to help and love others lord jesus for your glory in every way and god i ask it all in jesus precious name amen